knowing that today was going to be a family meeting, um, I thought it would be actually helpful. I kind of prayed about it all week, um, and I decided that what would be, I think, the best thing for us to do is actually um, cover what's going to be in the family meeting during the services because so many people can't come. Uh, and don't worry, it'll be a message still. I'm going to kind of share with you really what I believe is the heart of what Door of Hope is about, has always been about. And sometimes uh, I think that um, as, as a founding pastor, it's easy to just assume that what the central thrust of a community um, is, is known by the people that are in that community uh, when it's more clear in my mind than it maybe is in yours. And so one of the deepest desires that I have for the church is that we have a shared commitment to a shared vision. The whole reason that you commit to a church is because we believe that A, Jesus commanded us to gather together, that the church would be the way that he reaches his world. Uh, and there are lots of ministries that exist outside of the church and many of them came into existence because people felt that the church wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. But it does not change the fact that Jesus said to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, that we are a people that gather around the living Christ. We're not here to learn about Jesus, we are here to meet with Jesus and to make him known that the church is to be a witness uh, to, uh, to the places wherever it is found. When God's people gather around Christ, the purpose is that we gather around the one who has saved us, that we might be conduits of that saving love to the very world that he is pursuing and redeeming. Um, and I, I realize that uh, as I've been thinking about the family meeting, there's a lot of things that we, um, that we need to talk about. And I think that there's been a tremendous amount of change in the last couple years at Door of Hope and a lot of change the year before COVID hit and then, and then it was, and then everything shut down. And then it's just, there's been a lot of things that have been left unaddressed because we just haven't been together and looking for the appropriate place to, you don't want to address the kind of the intimate in and out details of a, of a church's history um, talking to a camera with no one in the room. I think that the best way that that happens is actually together um, as a community of faith. And so that's kind of my goal this morning. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you uh, just what I believe is that kind of a biblical grid. I started to actually just map out what are the things in my, in, in, that rest at the center of my conviction that are like, I will die for these things. I will die over these things that have, that have shaped the vision for Door of Hope from the beginning to now and where, and then, and then really ask the question, where are the mistakes that we've made? Um, how can we correct those things? And then what are we doing well and we need to focus in on more on and actually create more expansion on how we do that. And so that's kind of the goal. So I wanna just begin with um, a, a, a quote. I've been rereading Malcolm Muggridge's Jesus Rediscovered. Uh, and this last week I taught all week at Cannon Beach starting last Sunday. I was super sick. I got back from Lake Tahoe and then I got really ill. I ended up with a horrible sinus infection. It put me down for a week and then immediately had to leave on Sunday uh, to go um, preach. I preached 10 times, 10 one hour long uh, messages and wrote for about 50 hours on the book 
that the first draft was due last month and I'm still working on the first draft. So uh, I, the, I'm still asking myself every day, why did I sign a book deal with Penguin Random House? Because they're putting a lot of unnecessary pressure on me. Uh, so I'm trying to get this book done, uh, but a lot of good things have come out of from that type of reflection and what it is that I'm trying to write, which is really what is it that we're about. And uh, it's a book on the cross and how, the, how we should interpret our lives in light of the cross. And so I love this. I, um, Malcolm Ugrich says, in order to talk about one, what, what one is passionate about, what one believes, they also have to be able to articulate what they don't believe. And he sums up very well kind of a deep-rooted conviction of mine that I'm finding more and more the church is not believing and is believing more in line with, with, the, with the ideologies of the world uh, than it is with the scripture. And he says this, in trying to formulate what I believe, I have to begin with what I disbelieve. This is the best line. I disbelieve in progress. The pursuit of happiness. The concomitant notions and projects for creating a society in, which, society in which human beings find ever greater contentment by being given in ever greater abundance the means to satisfy their material and bodily hopes and desires. In other words, I consider that the way of life in urbanized rich countries as it exists today and it is likely to go on developing is probably the most degraded and unilluminated ever to come to pass on earth. I think that sums it up for me. That's what I think. That's what I don't believe in. And I think that if you have been coming to Door of Hope for any length of time, this last year has been an incredible uh, challenge to maintain with an unwavering commitment to the fundamental belief that the lies that the world continues to propagate that our best life is possible to be found on this side of eternity is not something that I can in, in any shape, way, or form adhere to. It is why I continually said during all of the political tensions uh, and even the racial tensions and the culture wars and now the wars around sexuality and all these things that are driving believers crazy. I just want you to know that there is no adequate answer, nor is there any system or any political party or any country in the world that is going to be able to bring solutions to those problems because the problems are not political. They're not, they're not social. They're not cultural. They are theological and they rest in one fundamental truth, which is low anthropology, sin. And as the church talks about sin less, and moves toward the natural default setting of fallen humanity, which is we're not talking about total surrender anymore in the church. Now we are like the world preaching self-actualization, embracing things like Enneagram so that we can not only know ourselves better, but so that we can read others better. When in actuality, there is nowhere in scripture that I am commanded to know thyself. What I am commanded is to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as myself. And I believe that self-knowledge, self-realization, even the idea that I will ever be able to figure out the insanity of what is my brain, uh, 
I believe with all of my heart that what is desperately needed in the church, and I want to articulate it more clearly now because I will rest my life upon this conviction that it is the cross alone that actually creates the crux and allows us to manage and navigate all of the various conversations that are tearing us apart. Nothing is more disheartening to me in this last year when I met with someone recently that said um, that people, I'll get an email, someone's like, I'm leaving Door of Hope um, because they're frustrated with uh, what they view as a lack of interest in, you know, we're not talking enough about, about racial tension. Um, or we're not, de- we're not dealing with this enough, or you're not using our gifts enough, or what, whatever it is. There's a whole diatribe of reasons. And then I'll be like, where are you going? And they're like, we're going to Door of Hope Northeast. I'm like, that's not leaving Door of Hope. Like, we're a family of churches. And, and it's really, and people leave, like, I'm leaving Door of Hope Northeast to come back to South, Door of Hope Southeast. I refuse to allow us um, to, and I know Cameron would agree, um, and I'm meeting with them to say, like, we've got to figure this out, because I do not want Door of Hope Northeast to be the slightly more progressive Door of Hope, while Door of Hope Southeast is a slightly more conservative Door of Hope. I'm not interested in conservatism or progressive ideology, because the world is filled with fallen minds teaching fallen minds, and it's the same for Christians. We may be redeemed, we may be born again, but we're still fallen people which means that we're gonna hurt people sometimes, which means that we're gonna make mistakes as leaders sometimes. But if grace is the central thrust of what it is that we're about, why, are we, why do we lack so much grace for what it means to be the body of Christ? And I think it's because we believe that the church is about my fulfillment and my satisfaction. And I just wanna say it as politely as possible, the church is not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus and his pursuit of broken people like you and I. And it's our conviction that on our worst day, he loves us and out of that love flows a deep desire to bring that kind of hope to hurting people that are all around us. And I think that people are perishing. When we have someone from our community that commits suicide, that should be a wake-up call that people desperately need to have something to belong to. And we will give our allegiance to anything that provides a sense of belonging. And the world often is providing a better sense of belonging in its various groups and the ways that people practice religion, because everybody's religious. The world often is providing better community than the church is because we lose Jesus as we fall into that place where we look for that community, that tribe that, that satisfies our particular distinctives. And I think that that's not the, that's not, that's not the call of the church. My call, the call of the church is not for me to tell you what to do. The call of the church is for me to point you and myself to the one who loves us. We're not here to learn about Jesus. We are here to meet with him. And in meeting with him, we learn about him. I think often our creeds, our beliefs, our convictions, our practices often become this sad ineffective mode of bringing meaning without ever actually coming into contact with the very one that those practices are supposed to draw us to. Because the practices become the end rather than a means to an end. 
that we're more interested in the things that we do for Jesus than Jesus himself. And so I want to address, and I just feel so strongly about this, um, is, is where um, just kind of looking at uh, what are some of the things that, that we have dealt with. And then I'm going to give you really quickly a set, of, a set of eight singular verses, each one tapping what are the deepest convictions of my life personally and what has informed the vision for Door of Hope from the beginning. Okay, first of all, COVID, what the heck just happened? I mean, it's really, we have to ask that question. We've come under so much criticism for how we handled COVID or how we didn't handle COVID and what we've learned and what we did well and where we went wrong. It's important to ask those questions, but I just want you to say, I met with the pastors of Portland on many occasions throughout COVID. And I actually am grateful that I didn't ever come to the place that many of my friends did, which was, I cannot actually pastor anymore. This, is, this just is the worst year of my life. COVID was not the worst year of my life. It was, if we would actually maintain, let me just say this, if we would actually maintain an apocalyptic worldview, we wouldn't be so shocked by those kinds of things. It's like we just thought that life, we do buy into the lie of progress and that, you know, we're, we're living longer, we're happier, we're healthier, we have more. And then all of a sudden a pandemic that's so out of our control freaks everybody out so bad that we think the best thing we can do is hide in isolation for a year as if COVID is the only thing that ever killed people. And it did kill people. It killed a lot of people. And don't think for a second I don't take it seriously. But I also think that there was a whole bunch of other things that came up and that came through it. And one of the things that I wish we would have had the foresight, but who, did, you, did anyone here know it was going to last as long as it did? I mean, when we first went into lockdown, were you like me? Just like, it's amazing. It's like a forced vacation. Everything's, and then I remember like at three months in, I'm like, I still don't think I'm quite ready to go back to work the way I was. Um, at four or five months in, I'm like, all right, I'm done. Now this is no longer fun. And that, that reality that it is not, the greatest thing I learned is, the, is that it makes sense now why the first thing that God says about humanity is it's not good that man be alone. One of the things that we did during COVID that I think um, that we have, to, we have to talk about, you know, I received an e- I remember receiving an email early on. Um, it was saying, hey, people are drifting, they're falling away. And listen, we're every church, that I have talked to, there is only a couple churches that thrived during COVID, and the reason that they thrived is because they made it political. They became the church where the disgruntled people that had to wear masks went. And I promise you, they may have exploded. One church in particular literally went from 1,500 to over 5,000 people because they made it political. And they became the church where disgruntled Republicans went to escape progressive ideologies. You're gonna to have to think of clever ways to, if people will leave their churches over being forced to wear masks, those are gonna be a continual people where you're gonna to have to continually figure out how to keep them. And it's clearly not the gospel that keeps them. It's finding people, we want to be with people that think just like us. But the church should be a place that is a people that think very differently, but everybody should be thinking primarily about Jesus. But the moment we say, no, it's a place where we, align politically, that is not a sustainable model. I would not want that kind of growth and nor would I want that kind of disgruntled body. 
most churches experienced incredible shrinkage during COVID. And as COVID has ended, uh, we still don't even know how things are gonna shake out. The last service before COVID hit, after we launched Door of Hope Northeast, we had 1,200 adults on a Sunday. It was like one of our highest attendance ever after we planted the church. It was almost like the moment we were willing to send the church out, it, God started to draw new people and then COVID hit a week later. And now we gather and I was talking with some leaders who like had really large churches and they're like, like, it's just so hard to see the, the church only half full. It's like, man, it's so depressing. And I'm like, I don't know. I, maybe it's because I'm an absolute optimist and look at everything through my glasses half full. But there's also for me an excitement around it. Uh, this sense of a reset, this belief that, that I've always held deep in my spirit that if real difficulty set in, if real hardship was to ever hit the church, I wonder how many people actually would survive it. I wonder how many people's faith would remain unshaken in such an incredible shaking as we saw last year. And a lot of people's faith was shaken. A lot of people's belief in what the church should be about was shaken. A lot of people's foundations were discovered to not be built as much on the gospel as, as in the is we need to be more about activism than we need to be about witness. We need to be more about what's happening out there than, what's, than what we're doing at the church. And so it put a whole bunch of people thinking about what it is that they actually even believe. It also did this, is it made it easy for people to not be in community because the longer we went without church, the harder it was to think about going back. If you're a young family and you just spent a year not having to try to get your kids dressed and get to church, you're like, why? I mean, I already saw the tendency of young families. They just stop going to church for like a year after their babies are born uh, it, because it's, it's, it's work. Uh, and so now you're like, well, I love Jesus and I can watch church online. So why should I go back? It just, it just seemed like, Sunday now is, I just had a conversation with a friend. He's like, he goes, I, you know, I've been at Bridgetown for years. I used to work at Solid Rock. He worked with me. He's actually my bass player. And he's like, I just, it's just so nice to have Sunday off because I work like 70 hours a week. And I'm like, then my friend, I'm excited to have a conversation with you about what is the purpose of church? Let's ask that question. We're going to start wrestling through that together. I think that COVID also was a time that we, that we got stuck with the inability to answer that what I think is the elephant in the room um, at Door of Hope, which is that we went through a tremendous amount of change with a lot of shifts in staffing. And for some, that was really hard. Um, and I just want you to know, it was really hard for me. And I, I'm, I still regret the way that some of the staffing changes were handled. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but there was a structure that we had in place and it was, a, it was an attempt to actually create better checks and balances and greater accountability. And that was instead of being the lead pastor, um, just the lead pastor with the staff reporting to me and me to the elders, we created what was called the executive team. Um, and it really ended up being, you know, three good people, and actually it was different three people because uh, Mark LaRue was in this for a while, um, and it didn't work when it was me and Mark and Russ, and then Tim Smith stepped into it after Mark. And, and these are guys I love and respect, and I recognize I'm crazy and hard to work with um, for multiple reasons. I'm not mean 
but I'm, I am an artist and getting out of me what one needs can sometimes be a chore because you might have just gotten charmed as well as introduced to a bunch of things that don't matter like a funny YouTube video, a couple new records, an interesting novel, a poem, <laughs> a couple pictures of my kids. I, it's what Tim Mackey called the Josh White's office is the black hole that one cannot escape from <laughs> when you go there. But the, the three-headed leadership team really became a three-headed monster. And the, and the issue with it was that it became unclear, I think, to the staff and even to the elders and, not, and unseen by the church who is actually leading this thing. Um, because the other executives did not report to me, they reported the elders. Well, it's very difficult if there's conflict. There's no one person struggling with the other two, or it's usually two are struggling with one, usually two struggling with me. No, it's not just me. But it was like, but that kind of triangular reality actually created a very, you know, a leader among leaders is necessary the moment you have a church that's bigger than 200 people. <laughs> the Brethren movement that, has no, that recognizes no leader among leaders, it's just a plurality of elders and it's completely shared with absolute equality. It, it does not work for anything of size because you need someone, it's, there needs to be a leader that is in submission to the elders but still someone that's guiding the ship. I think accusations that had come against me of being like, that we were secretly a Moses model, that I was actually the one calling all the shots, that actually wasn't, that wasn't, a, tr that wasn't a true reality. And it's taken me a long time to be able to even unpack what it was. I will tell you what it was. It was me in seasons of unhealth. It wasn't that I was trying to call the shots, it's that I wasn't leading at all. It was times where I wanted desperately out of the church and I withdrew. And anyone that's been on staff with me, I just looked out and saw one, of, one that's been with me for a long time nod her head in agreement that my tendency was not to be heavy-handed. It, it was a tendency to withdraw because I was overwhelmed by the inability to effectively lead because of the model that we had. So it wasn't anything to do with these are bad people. It was this isn't working and it's creating tensions in the staff that don't need to be there. And the elders began to pick up on this. It's like the elders' responsibility is not to police, but to be shepherds, to, be, to help make sure that we have a clear vision of what the ends are um, and then allow the staff to fulfill the means. And I realized after a while that, for example, when Tim was the executive pastor, Tim is his strong personality. Not only is he a strong personality, but he's also six foot five with the loudest talking voice I've ever heard in my life. And he's actually like a gentle teddy bear of a man, but can come across as very intense if you don't know him. And in a staff setting, he, he came from a much, more, um, a much more like organizational, Mars Hill was an organizational monster, which is why it was able to grow to 20, thousand members. It was massive. Door of Hope has always functioned in a very weird way. Even though we've become a big church, we have always been more of a family-focused um, uh, kind of the way that we lead together is just by living life together. The moment I put someone between me and the staff, that short-circuited that reality. And it, it created problems. Staff going around Tim to get to me, 
or, or them feeling like I don't want to be with them, me going around Tim to just connect with them, and then him feeling like he can't do his job. This is the reality that happened with Mark. So we saw it again and again. They're just, it's a structure problem that's creating tensions amongst friends, and we don't want that because we love Jesus. And, and it came to a head at not that long ago that Tim's like, I realize that I just, I want to lead. <laughs> I want to be able to, to lead a church. And to be an executive pastor, he was, set, he was told, told the best thing. He said, an executive pastor is one with power and no power. They don't get to own any particular ministry. They're just there to support the vision of the lead pastor and to support the staff. And that's, that's a hard place to live when you actually like to create vision. And that's why it's so exciting to be able to support Tim in this journey and that that departure was a beautiful one. However, Hannah and Todd was not a beautiful departure. We let go of our women's ministry director and our youth pastor at month two um, of COVID and, and it was not handled well. And part of it was an attempt, the Tom McGregor's departure was so tense, which was our last family meeting. And if you guys weren't here for that, it's, it is what it is. There's not much to say about it, but there was a deep concern we don't want people to assume, Josh, that you're making all the decisions. So this time, we're gonna do something totally different. Tim manages the staff. He will be the one that lets them go and we're not allowing you to even be in that meeting. That actually was a giant mistake. First of all, nobody should ever be let go without two people in the room, like in that conversation. And it caused a lot of hurt. And just, I just want you guys to know that I have faithfully and continue to this day to pursue both Todd and Hannah to reconcile the hurt that was caused. Todd, I even tried to bring back on staff because I thought he was such a gifted teacher. I stand by the decision that he was not the right person for youth ministry. He was much more of a teacher. Uh, he wasn't a person that was inclined to spend time with kids. That was my only frustration. I just wanted him to be teaching. Uh, but we didn't have the ability to bring him on full time and he needed that. But it was a super hard decision. But if I would have known COVID was going on this long, uh, we, I wish we would have done in retrospect is that I wish we would have tried to move them somewhere else to see if it works before making such a draft. We've just never in the history of Door of Hope ever made a decision like that. People have left Door of Hope frustrated, but we've never fired people. And, the, and, and I, I still don't even like to use that word. It was like, we believe in you, we recognize that you're gifted, and we believe you should be in ministry, but you're in the wrong ministry at Door of Hope, and we don't have somewhere else to place you. And the desire was to take care of them well so that they could use COVID to find new work. Had I known it was going to be that longer, I would have just said, let's wait, let's not make any moves until this thing clears out. So a lot of people were upset. How could you let someone go during COVID? Um, how scary. I want you to know, I don't think it was the right how we handled that was not the right decision. And I don't know what to say other than everything we do, even in the power of the Spirit, is mixture. I think it was the right discernment that they weren't in the right place. I think it was th that it was the wrong decision in how we actually went about it. And all we can do is try to be more, more robust in thinking through those things. And we were dealing with a lot of different moving things at that time, like trying to do church with no people. So, so that, that reality has led to what is going on now. Well, there has been a complete dismantling of the um, executive team and the fundamental belief that if I am going to be the lead pastor, the elders have felt you need to lead the church and the staff needs to report to you. And 
We don't care if you're not a great manager. Essentially figure it out. And I agree. I think that I have to learn how to lead in the way that I'm hardwired. And the seasons where Door of Hope was the healthiest was when it was doing that, just that. We led from where our strengths were, which, which revealed where there was weaknesses. And I mean, the season where Door of Hope grew the fastest to the largest size that it was early on, we grew from about 500 to 1,000 in year three with just me, Evan, Jamie, and uh, Chris Chesbro and John Abraham, those two being part-time, that was it. That's all we had on staff. And, but people felt loved and heard. I had to meet with about 30 people a week to do pastoral care, and Evan met with a ton. But it was exciting, it was messy, but the thing is, is we just, we didn't think, we're gonna be big, and we need to keep expanding the structure so that we can get bigger. And it was, and I'm sure people fell through the cracks in that season, but there was people believed in what was happening and there was a genuine excitement um, that, that flowed from my heart that, that I knew the best way to lead was just to be in the mix. Don't, don't ask anything of anyone that you're not willing to do yourself. That was kind of my motto. And it, and it, and it worked. Uh, and I think that there's a part of me that's just kind of gone back to that sort of simplicity. I don't care how big we are. And I refuse to function like a corporation or a church. Maybe that says that we shouldn't be megachurches. And, and I know, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about organization or we shouldn't care about um, how people are cared for. That I care about deeply. But I refuse to treat my staff as below me. Um, there's some kind of weird hierarchy. What I want are, are people, I want a staff that feels served by me and served by the elders and supported. And I want a community, I want what, the church to be doing what should be happening in the staff, which is a radical vulnerability and honesty before Jesus where we're broken. And so we've been bringing in the guy that is my, one of my mentors, Ken Weigel, he's a consultant. I've been bringing him in to talk with the staff every other month to talk about ways that we can enter into conflict better, how we can, how the staff can approach me and not get sucked into the black hole um, and, and how we can, we can learn to be much more quick to enter into things that might be issues because Door of Hope's history has never been, Door of Hope is a church filled with mean leadership. That's never been our history. Where we have hurt people is just in poor communication and, con and being adverse to conflict. It's the bottom line. And that is something that I'm committed to, the elders that are currently and the staff are all committed to improving on. We want you to be informed. And I just think, if I'm gonna talk about radical vulnerability and I'm gonna be asked to lead this church, like, I just think you guys need to know what you're in for. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I'm just, I'm not really interested in trying to be something that I'm not. And I don't think that you should, I don't want you to have uh, unrealistic expectations. I want you to be realistic because I'm gonna show you what I think we need to be about in just one second. Um, finally, moving forward, um, that this has led to, uh, we've just hired four, uh, we've hired five new staff. Uh, one of the complaints is that there isn't enough people to take care of the needs of the church. So the church is always this ones on this fine line. People are uncomfortable giving to a church that seems to spend way too much money on an unnecessary things. So you ever go to a church where it's just like, why is there 50 staff 
for a church of 500 and why are we paying why is my tithing dollars going to three tech people and you know for an assistant for every pastor and I mean a lot of times you know people come in and they just keep growing in staff and they never make any changes and before you know it your staff is almost as big as your church and that, I've seen that a lot Door of Hope has always ran the opposite side of things which is extremely lean um, and we have had a very lean staff for our size um, and, and we have, I realized that like, we need to rebuild the staff and we need to do it in a really healthy fashion uh, because we kind of had moved toward this sort more corporate model, the way that we hired in the past was more like a corporate way that you hire. You put out a need, you take in a bunch of applications, you look at all of them, you interview the most, the, what seemingly the most talented ones, and then you decide from there. And I actually was often even not really a big part of that conversation. And I realized one of the biggest areas for me that is essential in the way that I am hardwired, and I think more people are hardwired like this than they like to admit, is I am a gut level leader and, and instinct is important and chemistry for me matters. It's actually a non-negotiable. I don't care how gifted someone is, if they don't actually mesh with the team, they don't understand the culture, that it's, it, it doesn't work, it just doesn't matter. And I've seen it again and again, and every time I've trusted to a more corporate model, it has come back to bite us so hard. And so moving forward, it's like, if hires and fires rest with me and I give account to you and to the elders, the elders have input on any hire, um, and I'm, you know, one of my gifts is I'm a networker and I meet people and I, there's a sense there's where, like John C, where you just meet someone and there's like, they have a common heart, they have a vision, they have the charisma, they have, and just like, this makes sense for this ministry. And so there is a, there is a very focus and some people have even asked, how come we didn't hear that we were even looking for that? I would have liked the opportunity to apply. And I'm like, I understand that's how a lot of places work. That's not how we're working right now. So I just wanna be honest about that and clear. I'm not making decisions without input, but I am trying to build a team that's driven by tight camaraderie because we are such a unique, we, we function in a weird way. So, and we're not a big enough church to have multiple teams disconnected from one another. We, we are committed to maintaining as much as possible that family atmosphere. Um, and so with the hires, Zion and Kristen, um, uh, John C., um, Brittany downstairs, who she's been at Door of Hope forever, um, working with the kids, she's awesome. That's like the one I didn't have much to do with because Joe, uh, she was already serving and it was just it was like a no-brainer. Uh, Ian is one, a guy that I've been, I mean, look at how blessed. I'm not receiving any, any bad emails about Ian as a communicator. Here's a guy that got saved the Door of Hope and is, he was just killing it. And, he's, and I love it because he's from Portland, he understands it, he understands this church, he's stuck with it even when it had its downsides, and he's been through a ton, and, it's, and it gives him a certain, just a beauty when he preaches, and I'm excited to see that continue to expand. I think um, just, I love the spirit of, of Zion and Kristen, their love for people, the fact that they would leave a healthy family life in North Carolina because the Lord told them to come here, I knew that he should be the youth pastor within five minutes of talking to him because he just, I'm, it's so hard to reach kids in urban environments. I think we have, and even my son just went out to lunch with him last week. He's just like, he's just cool. 
Uh, and I think that that's, we need someone that kids can connect with and relate to in, the, in an urban climate. Not just an urban environment, but that's what's great about them is they don't care whether they're urban or not. They're not looking for cool kids. They just love people. And it was just the right time. Kristen stepped in as my assistant. It's been a beautiful thing. So as we're building, rebuilding, what are we going to be looking at moving forward? Well, I think that moving forward, um, what we're going to continue, obviously, is our Sunday gatherings. We are going to continue to be looking at building out the, this idea of the family of churches. I'm already thinking about who's like, where is their, where is their needs? Where are their places in the city that we would be, that Door of Hope would be effective? I got approached recently by a friend that wants to, that is a very, very good church planner and has proven successful that's interested in starting a church now in Venice Beach, um, LA, and asked if we would ever consider it being Door of Hope. So there's opportunities presenting themselves. And so we just have to kind of prayerfully think about where do we want to be? All I know is I want to reach lost people and I want to see the city experience revival. Um, and I think as we focus in on Portland, naturally people in other places are going to say, we want to do what Door of Hope is doing. And the pillars are transferable. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I think that the, this commitment to the, the family of churches means that there's a commitment to raising up more voices and leaders. Um, John C is a teacher. Uh, Ian is a preacher. Pip has a desire to keep growing and teaching. And so I, it's important for me to be thinking about how am I going to shepherd the next voices of Door of Hope. Uh, and um, I don't, I'm deeply um, suspicious of uh, even of my own intentions sometimes of the cult of personality, um, our, our willingness to just submit to people that have, have the gift of eloquence. What we should be looking for is humility and do they point you to Jesus? And do they make you want to follow Christ more fervently? Uh, and I, I, think, I think of all the unsung heroes of the countless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small churches across America and the world where pastors who aren't the best communicators are a hundred times better pastors than me, who love their people and care for them. Those are the unsung heroes in the church. And I think that this culture where we have the internet at our disposal, we're always looking for who's the best new communicator. That is not necessarily the best way. I would argue it is not the best way to find a church community to be engaged in. And so I want to give space to other voices. Also, I think it's important. People have been hurt by me because they don't understand how I'm hardwired. And that is that a church body, if you have only pastors that are only care about who's here, the church gets insular and it, and it stops focusing on the lost world. If you have only pastors like me, my mind is always thinking about who's not here. I'm always thinking about that. I love you guys. I'm so grateful that you're here, but it is not my strength uh, to be the one that provides the continual pastoral care, growing people into maturity in the ways that you think that should be. There's, there's shepherds that are naturally bent toward who's in front of me, and then there are people that have that, that prophetic evangelistic or apostolic temperament that are constantly pushing us out of our comfort zone to continue to move outward into the world. It's, it's, you have to have both of those realities. And I think that that is super important for us to remember. So moving forward, we're gonna be starting up Alpha. And I've been talking about that. If you don't know what Alpha is, Alpha is this beautiful um, uh, 
this beautiful ministry that's the most effective evangelistic tool used right now in the world. It's not the only way to do evangelism. It's not a means of getting out of being evangelistic on Sundays, but it's a desire to invite you in to participate in what it looks like to bring the gospel to a lost world. And we'll start doing trainings for it probably in the fall. And the goal is to launch it in January. And we'll be telling you more about that. But that's gonna be the biggest thing that we do that's new. And um, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. Um, so the question that many of you will be asking is like, how can I help? And not only do we wanna do alpha, but we wanna create classes. There's been questions about biblical literacy in our church. Are the fact that we've always been a church that's reached a lot of lost people that are new to the new to Christianity. Um, we're going to be thinking about how to do that and provide more for you. But I want to just encourage you guys to pray for Door of Hope. I think it's an exciting season. I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want you to be be shaken by the fact that I've had seasons. I don't know any pastor that's ever led a church for 12 years that haven't had seasons where they've wanted to get. Try being a lead pastor. You would you'll immediately understand when everybody has an idea of how things should be. Uh, it's, it can be very overwhelming. Um, pray. Believe. Love believes all things and hopes all things. Uh, remember that we're mixture. If we remember that we're sinners, we're not going to be surprised when people sin. Uh, I think that we need to ask questions. I am available. If anyone has an issue, just email me. If you're struggling at Door of Hope or you're thinking about leaving, before you abandon ship, come talk to me. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna beat you up. If, if God is calling you out, I wanna A, especially if it's something that's hurt you, don't go to another church with, un, with, with unresolved bitterness because it's just gonna follow you there. Make right the relationships before you go, but maybe you shouldn't go. And I think that that's something that's important for us to, for us to consistently ask. I think show up. The reason that church matters, and I think the reason people are getting bored in churches is because we have forgotten that the primary responsibility of the church is to be a witness to Jesus. Do you know where non-believers come in a city like Portland if they're exploring faith? They go to a church. And you know what day that's on? It tends to be Sunday. Most of the people that have come to faith at Door of Hope have come to faith because they came to a service and they didn't hear just a guy preach the gospel. They saw a community worship Jesus. And that is compelling. It's not so compelling if it's just me here and a handful of believers and a bunch of visitors saying, is this Christianity thing worth following? And they're like, obviously not because they don't even have anyone there. Show up. It's why we gather on Sunday. It's there's a purpose for church. Um, engage, get engaged. Don't just sit in the pew and leave. Be involved, be in community groups, serve in the church because participation actually brings growth in the believer's life. I think that we need to love much better, to believe the best. Grace is the continual thread that I push, which is the one-way love of God, a love that comes to you not because you deserve it, but because God is good. And I think that we need to give and to hold on to hope because people need Jesus. So are you giving of your time? Are you giving of your resources? Do you believe that this church is committed to bringing the gospel to the city of Portland and beyond? We can't do that. We're, we just took a step of faith in hiring John C., but we know 
God is calling us to bigger things, calling us to reach more people, calling us to make sure that you are cared for. We can't do that if, if there aren't resources coming in to provide for those things. And Portland is not a cheap city. And I require that the staff live in the city because it's where we're committed to. It is not easy to live in the city um, and be a pastor in Portland. <laughs> uh, and we have a young staff, um, an excited staff that are excited to serve you. And so I want to just look at this verse, and we're going to close because I went long. But look at this opening verse. To be a cross-shaped community, first of all, this is a time of reset. We are made by being destroyed. Nothing brings life unless first the grain falls into the ground and dies. And I want you to die to the false ideas that you have about church, I want to die to the false ideas that I have about it. I want to die to the belief that everything is hinged upon me. It's not. It is hinged upon us together gathering around Jesus. And I want us to remember that you cannot pull the cross out of the center of the conversation without gutting Christianity of its life. You can't talk about the Holy Spirit. You can't talk about serving the city or disciplining yourself toward godliness without the cross because the cross is the door of hope and look what paul says but for me, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ by which the world has been crucified to me and i to the world the only thing that will keep you from losing your mind in a time where conversations are plaguing us and opinions abound about what we should be engaged in i don't care what anyone says the church should be engaged in if it does not align with what the scripture says. And if the scripture says, I have determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, Paul, who knew more than anyone, to be able to speak those words tells me that that's actually pretty important because the world wants us to get distracted. They want us to feel guilt and shame, but the gospel wants to set us free. And freedom that comes through Jesus is what a lost world is looking for. We don't have, you don't have the answers. I don't have the answers to the dilemmas of American culture and society right now. I'm not gonna be able to answer why racism is still a problem in our country other than because of sin. I'm not a historian and even history is consistently being rewritten. What I do know is that my black brother, my Asian brother, it doesn't matter, my white brother and all my sisters, we all need Jesus and we're all broken and we're lost without him. And even with him, we often get lost because the Christian life is not a linear life. It is a tumbling toward eternity, consistently falling off the path. It is a continual repentance in which we are spinning ourselves toward Christ, coming back again and again to the heart of the Father because we're so quick to get off track. Door of Hope needs to get on track. This is what we're about. And so today at the, at the family meeting, I'm just asking you to come with questions. And this is why I've taken the time this morning to say this is, what we're, this is what we've learned, this is what we're about, this is what we're about. It's not changing. It's the only thing I'm ever gonna be about. <laughs> and I think that it's what the church has to be about because it feeds into everything else. I'm not saying that prayer doesn't matter, the Holy Spirit doesn't matter, or service doesn't matter, or fellowship, all of those things flow out of a right relationship with Jesus and a right understanding of what he has accomplished for the world. For the one who has Christ has everything, and everything that needs to be done has already been done.
because of what he did. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for its ability to bring transformation to our lives. Thank you for the gift of your grace. And we ask today that you would speak to us, guide us, direct us, fill us with wonder. That you would engage us in a way that would bring life and hope. That you would transform us more and more into your likeness. Lord, that we would understand that life is mixture, that it is so easy to fall back into the trappings of chasing after some kind of latter theology, that grace is indeed always unfair, that our freedom is fragile and it is easy to misuse it. We recognize, Lord, that worship in its essence is sacrifice and we wanna surrender to you. That confession is beautiful because it's the essence of fellowship. And Lord, that witness is our sanctification because as we live our lives for you, loving one another, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. As we live in a world by which we become the, your hands and feet, nothing will cause us to grow like actually following you into the world that you came to save. So Lord, help us to move out of this idea that church is about me. And Lord, remind us again and again that it's about you and it's about your mission and the privilege that we have to be a part of it. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.